Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. The bigger picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. It's the breakfast huddle. Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang with you. It is time now for the bigger picture. Ryan, you and I are back at work today. I think a lot of people are also heading back today. But can you imagine if you have not been able to travel for three years, Chinese New Year comes around, you're going to go visit your family if uh, they live in another town. Yeah, that is a story playing out for nearly 296 million migrant workers in China. Of course, they've been going back to their hometowns. And this is possibly going to disrupt the economy because what is happening now is they may take a longer time to head back to work. So typically, we have seven days of stretch of holidays in China. That mm-hmm. ends end of the week. But it looks like we have workers who are not planning to return until February the 5th. That is the day of the traditional Lantern Festival. So that's the prospects many companies are facing and they are struggling with missing workers and now maybe struggling to pay them even more to attract them to come back. So what will this mean for China's economy? Let's unpack it with Vasu Menon. He is the Executive Director for Investment Strategy for OCBC Bank. Morning Vasu, how was your break? was very good, Ryan. It was a very good break and uh, we enjoyed ourselves very much. Uh, it's great to hear, Vasu. Now, talking about breaks, uh, we might be in for a longer break than usual for China because of what's playing out with the situation of workers heading back to their hometowns. How much of an impact do you see this playing out for the economy when it comes to all the disruptions we may be facing on top of all the other issues they are facing? It's something to keep an eye on, not to get too carried away with. I think, you know, I think the issue, as you said earlier, is that typically China gives a break from January 21st to January 27th. The concern is that many of them may take an extra week off and come back only after the 5th of February or not even come back at all. I mean, that's the concern that, you know, some employers and the government has that, you know, many of them have been faced with COVID restrictions for the last two years. And now that they go back to their hometown, they may not even want to come back. And uh, we've seen that happen in other parts of the world where, you know, uh, the last three years has resulted in a change in mindset. And many people say, look, they want to spend more time with their family, stay out of the workforce, and then, you know, come back in at a later stage. But the reality in China is that, you know, social welfare is limited. Mm. And, you know, the government has not given out a lot of cash, like many other developed economies, uh, to tackle the pandemic. And so, you know, many of these workers still need a job. And the government is trying to get them back. It's trying to help companies. It's giving out cash handouts if companies resume production earlier than expected. And employers are helping as well by trying to, you know, give employees bonuses for them to come back earlier. So I think the jury is still out. I mean, we're talking about an extra week of, you know, time off. may not be a bad thing, after all, given the fact that, you know, they've uh, not been able to go back and see their families for three years. You would rather have a happy employee come back after a slightly longer stretch, be more productive, which may be good for the economy. So I think the jury is still out, right? I mean, yes, mm. there are going to be disruptions because China is the biggest manufacturer in the world, but... Uh, I think it's not a long-term structural problem. It's a problem that a lot of other economies have faced when they reopen. Yeah, Vasu, that's a good point, right? That is the supply side of things, uh, the factories. But when you look at demand, maybe there isn't even demand for supply to come back on because when you look at the headlines, we have job cuts in place. Uh, 3M overnight talking about 2,500 jobs being cut. Google last Friday talking about... 12,000 jobs being cut. And of course, we've seen in the past few weeks, many tech companies and many other companies bracing for a tougher year ahead. So with all these job cuts now making news, are we perhaps seeing the worst over or worst to come? Well, you know, right? I think it's still 
early days, if you look at the bigger picture, uh, it doesn't look so bad because the layoffs are really taking place in the tech sector, as you mentioned. You know, many of the, the companies you mentioned were in the tech sector. So just to give you an idea of the numbers, in the year 2022, very roughly, you know, the entire economy shared about 364,000 jobs in the U.S. Of this, 97,000 jobs were shared by the tech sector. So the tech sector was the biggest contributor to job losses in 2022. And almost 30% of the job losses that took place throughout the economy. Now, if you look at 364,000 jobs, it looks like a big number. But if you look at the entire economy, the bigger picture, you see that, you know, the economy created in total for 2022 4.5 million jobs. So there were, you know, 364,000 jobs being shared, but 4.5 million jobs being created. So overall, it's not so bad. The economy is still creating jobs. The job market is still very tight. Wages are still going up. The tech sector is facing challenges. There were excesses in the tech sector because of the huge ramp up in 2020 and 2021 as many of us embrace the digital mm. economy. But I think you know, some of those excesses are being unwound and uh, it is not a systemic risk for the entire economy, I feel, not yet anyway. Yeah, but to some extent, Vasu, we are seeing a bit of a slowdown when it comes to many economies. And that's where I'm starting to hear more about stagflation risks. And this is against the backdrop of also what's being dubbed the era of security. Many countries talking about setting up their own supply chains to be more independent in a sense without having to go through all the troubles they had with COVID-19 disruptions. So with that, you know, possibly raising costs for these companies, which they have to pass on, is that going to support inflation? I mean, uh, slowing growth picture, which will then meet, lead to stagflation problems. Is that a high risk right now? Well, you know, it is something that we are monitoring very closely. It is clearly a key risk that, you know, uh, investors are keeping an eye on, without a doubt. But the definition of stagflation, you need three negative factors to come together. You need slower economic growth, which we are already seeing to some extent. You need higher unemployment, which we are not seeing at this juncture. We are seeing the employment market being still very strong. And you need, you know, higher prices, persistent inflation, which to some extent is debatable because the inflation rates have been coming down. And, you know, they could come down further with the slowdown in the economy. So you need these three factors to, you know, come together to really, you know, declare your situation. And we don't have that just yet. So it is possible that as the economy slows down, the inflation numbers could come down further and the job market may also cool off but not fall off the cliff. So that, of course, is the best case scenario for equity markets and bond markets. Mm. But in the event of taxation, we really have stagnant growth and, you know, very high inflation. It's going to be a headache for central bankers. They will be in a bind. They will not be sure how to navigate. And I think the investment markets will go through a change in mindset as well. But at this juncture, that's not the base case scenario. You know, because the economy is in a very different spot where you're seeing reopening help to reinvigorate demand as well. And the employment market is still very, very strong, which is a headache for the central banks as well. Yeah, so that's a good point, right? Inflation, uh, employment picture is still not there yet when it comes to the criteria. Now, finally, let's talk about headaches to think about for the year ahead. And the US-China tensions seem to be another growing risk to watch out for, especially as we head into the US 2024 presidential elections. And in news in the past few days, we have the Biden administration confronting China's government with what seems to be evidence that suggests that Chinese state-owned companies may be providing assistance for Russia's war effort in Ukraine. So that actually reinforces the narrative that we might be in for this so-called anti-China rhetoric in the coming year. I I agree with you, Ryan. I mean, it's something that, you know, we're also keeping a close eye on and the markets have kind of glossed over it. It could come to the forefront more and more in the coming months and especially, you know, in 2024 when we run up to the presidential elections. But, you know, the relationship between China and the U.S. has been tense for quite a long time. 
they have covered over issues like trade, human rights, you know, and also Nancy Pelosi's uh, visit to Taiwan. And on the China side, they're angry with the U.S. because, you know, because of efforts by the U.S. to cut the flow of high-tech semiconductors to China. And of course, you know, China is, uh, Japan is now talking about increase in event spending, military cooperation between the U.S. and Japan. So the issues are, I think, more than just about Ukraine and Chinese support of Ukraine. There's a lot of underlying unhappiness between the two uh, superpowers. And I think what's interesting is this, Ryan. I think a couple of weeks ago, the U.S. House of Rep voted overwhelmingly to create a select committee to assess, you know, Chinese competition towards the U.S., right, to come up with policies and recommendations to basically curb China's, you know, competitive threat. And this new committee is being chaired by Republicans. The Republicans have taken charge of the U.S. House of Rep. So the process has started, as you highlighted, but it's still below the radar and it could gather pace, uh, you know, in the run-up to 2024. The Biden administration, on the one hand, is unhappy with what's happening in Ukraine. But on, the, on the other hand, you see them, you know, trying to mend sanctions to China. Biden met Xi Jinping in November last year. Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, met the, you know, defense minister of China November last year. So you've got a whole bunch of activities. Even Janet Yellen plans to go to China to meet her counterparts. And the secretary of state in the U.S. is going to China next week. So I think the Democrats are trying to mend sanctions. Republicans clearly are going to try and stir some degree of unhappiness. So, you know, so it's... This will play out in the next few months and we have to keep a close eye on it. Yeah, of course, uh, TikTok also when it comes to what's happening in China. Uh, so that's going to be a lot to watch out for in the coming year. We'll be chatting with Vasu Menon. He is the Executive Director for Investment Strategy for OCBC Bank. Vasu, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you very much and my best wishes to viewers as well in the year of the rabbit and you and everyone else in the studio. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.